1: And
0: welcome to episode 292 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank NOTA, powered by m and Bank. NOTA is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit trustnoda.com legal to learn more. That's N-O-T-A, NOTA. Terms and conditions may apply. And next, we'd like to thank Colonial
1: Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bond you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcasts.
0: And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. And we're still seeing so many new podcasts announcing their
1: very first episodes these days as we're rapidly approaching our 300th. So, we like to occasionally mention that uh, at 15 years and counting, this is the longest continuously running legal tech podcast out there. In our last episode, we discussed ways to develop your knowledge and expertise about legal technology and create a good personalized learning plan. In this episode, I actually wanted to learn more about the use of tags and tagging from Tom, and I thought that we all might benefit from that conversation. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode?
0: Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we will indeed be looking at the art of tagging, which may or may not play a part in our respective second brain projects or other parts of our tech lives, although I am not sure how much I, uh, I have to offer on the subject. In our second segment, we'll talk about venture capital, private equity, and IPOs in the legal tech space. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, how can we all make better use of tags and tagging? This might seem like a simple topic, uh, but I think it actually can be a little bit complicated. Uh, fail to plan or plan too much, and you end up with thousands of tags that overlap each other. Um, so we thought we would take a look at uh, at, at tagging and all of its implications maybe talk about some best practices and approaches that we find most effective um you've always said in the past dennis that you one reason why you've never really done tagging is you found it so hard why is it so hard for you
1: It just is for me. I I think it requires a certain discipline that I'm not convinced I actually have. Um, And then I see your example where it just seems like that Tags are something you're really good at. So I'm like, hmm, why, why can't I get it? But I, I, I wonder if that's too simplistic an approach. And I, and I think this is a good example of one of those tech topics that just seems so simple and basic that everybody should get it. But it actually, when you dig into it, it's a lot harder than you, than you think.
0: Well, well, what I will say is that, one, it's not simple. It does take a certain discipline, but two, it's also not rocket science. So it's something that um, can be understood and mastered, but... It's not something that you just dive into. You have to really think about it and be deliberate and intentional about how you plan to do it. Um, but I'm also going to talk here about some of the reasons why you might not want to do tagging. Um, is that not everybody thinks that tagging is the best way to, uh, uh, to organize your notes, uh, to organize anything, really. Um, so we'll talk about some of those things. But I, I, I tend to agree. It's not a simple It's not a simple thing to do, but it is pretty straightforward once you kind of grasp or figure out the best way to make them work for you, I guess is the way to put it. Um, I I don't think that we should say um, once you get the hang of how tags work, you should do it. It's once you find the best way to make them work for you, because my argument today is going to be there is a time and place for tagging and it's not all the time.
1: So what I hear you saying is that you may give me some excuses not to get better at it. Um, I hope that's not the case, but uh, we'll we'll see but i I think it's worthwhile um, as we often do, just go back to the basics and say, what the heck do we mean by tags and tagging in your opinion
0: oh, okay, so to me, tagging essentially means assigning a keyword or a phrase to something you're trying to categorize or save so that you can recall it later um, I have viewed tagging as an option to foldering. Instead of filing something in a folder dedicated to that subject, you can tag it with a keyword and then potentially store it in multiple places. Um, I, I think essentially, though, tagging is just a taxonomy. We talk about taxonomy on the podcast before. It's, it's another way of classifying information that you have. And, um, you know, to me, the benefit, the main benefit of tagging is if you have a certain way of organizing your information, you can apply a tag to it and then store it in multiple places where if you are foldering something, you're only putting it in one place that is, uh, Designed for that one topic, and it seems a little bit confining uh, when you think about it. For foldering, sometimes foldering makes sense, and we'll talk. I'll talk about in a little bit why I think um, uh, tagging is not always the answer. Um, but in a nutshell, that's what I think. It's a way of classifying information, really, and by using short keywords or phrases. And I think that um as you were as you were
1: saying that i i think it does sit at this nice place between foldering and just just basic search you know keyword or word search and and i think that if you do folders you have to be super organized and super disciplined and put things in the right places. In word search, you sometimes get a lot of noise in your search results. And I think that tagging, when when you use it really well, helps you in both those cases. So you don't necessarily have to have it in the right, um, and I'm do using air quotes there. Folder, and you get uh, like a better search results. And for me, tagging, and, and I think it's worth saying is is that sometimes it's in it's going to be in your OS or other things, but typically you're going to be in a program or uh, you know a service that actually allows you to create a tag. Uh, so you're essentially creating your your own keywords. And I, and I guess, Tom, I was going to, uh, I'll ask you first, and then I have an opinion on this, but what is the promised land of, of tagging? If so we got tagging exactly right and it worked 100% the way that you wanted, what would that look like?
0: Well, when you put this in the outline... I sat there for probably twenty minutes saying, "What does he mean by the promised land of tagging?" Because I think he's expecting me to know what the answer to that is, and I just don't know what it is. So I think the answer I'm going to come up with is the promised land of tagging is making the right use for you. Is that tagging is, and so don't create thousands of tags you won't remember. Um, that's the biggest problem. Is and and we're going to talk a little bit about some systems where. Um, you put just dozens of hashtags because, oh my gosh, here are the 12 words that I might need to remember for this particular thing. And I think that just is, um, it might help you on the back end, but think of all the time you spend on the front end just thinking of all those tags. Um, so don't spend more time than you need to tagging. And then I think understand when it's the right time to use tags because, um, or, or to, to make use of tags. So I tag things when appropriate. Um, I Well, I, I would tag everything, but I may not use tags to find that information. I may decide, you know what? I may need to do a keyword search of this and that might make the most sense. Or I know I put it in this notebook and I can drill down into this folder and find it easier. And so I think that the that, that as it is with anything that you're trying to find, the promised land of tagging is knowing what's the right balance for you and how to use it right so that it doesn't totally overwhelm you. And let me real quick go into this. I'm trying to figure out the right place to talk about this in our discussion, but I wanna talk about the problems with tagging, the, 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 the things that can 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 make it an issue for you. And I think one of them is Decision fatigue, it, like I said, there's so many choices of what tag do I assign to it. So that's a problem you could have with, with it. Memory fatigue, uh, if you assign 20 tags to it, how do you remember all of those things? How do you remember which tag is for what? And I think that even if you have a small number of tags, um, remembering exactly what you tagged it might be a problem. And and the fact that, you know, I might say... Um, I I might have something that I call legal tech tag and then another one that I call legal technology. So it's making sure that you don't have uh, tags that overlap each other in the same thing. And then there's uh, the over-optimization factor of tagging, going in and uh, tinkering with them too much and having tags that are so complicated and complex that they're 20 different words so that you can narrow down. That's crazy. But I I think that the the main issue is is that if you have a 1,000 tags that you have to think about, it just makes it a lot harder. So not to tell people not to tag, I just want to say that these are some of the issues that you want to try to avoid when tagging. And, and that's why I think making a smart approach to a limited number of tags with the right words and terms that make sense to you um, and starting out slow and, and deliberate to me makes the most sense. Yeah, so I, when I think of the promised land, I, I think of uh, essentially
1: eliminating one extra step in, in finding things. So instead of figuring out, oh, what folder might it be? What are, what are the, the search terms I have to be? Do I know whether I've got everything that I, you know, I've found everything that I need? I think that tags allow you to say, look, just pull up everything that I've tagged with that, and then I, I'm pretty sure I got most everything that I think is related to that topic, and and I can get it in one place. So let me let me use a concrete example here. So, say that I'm I'm doing something e-discovery related, and I tag. Uh, f- documents that are subject, that I believe are subject to attorney-client privilege, then I can use that tag just to see all of those. And so I don't have to do Boolean searches. I don't look for file folders. That tag is going to get me most of the way there. And so I'm saving, uh, or either saving a step or eliminating a step. And I, I think that's, that's a really, really important piece of it. And so I think that leads us to, time of exactly what the types of tags are. And I, as I started to think about it, I decided that uh, for a lot of people, colors are the simplest form of tags. So you might do something where you say, oh, this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag this with, say you're in Outlook, I'm going to tag this and it's going to have a red flag or a yellow flag or a green flag, or you might do some other things like that. And so colors are one of the simplest forms of tags, um, but there, there are you know, quite a few other ones.
0: Well, and I use color tags in Outlook as well, but I use it for my calendar. And so I have blocked out on my calendar um, every type of meeting. Um, I have a different color, either for a different client or for a different type of activity. And that's usually for me to know how I'm at the, you know, unfortunately, I'm still in a, in a world where I have to keep track of my time. And um, it makes it a lot easier for me to go back and group things and say, OK, when was I spending personal time, internal time, uh, time with this client? It's able for me to keep it easy for me to keep track of all that. I don't do a ton of color. I think that I I don't do a ton of color tagging. Otherwise, but I would say that color tagging is great um, when you have a limited number of things to tag. Because one, you don't want to. You only want to use a certain number of colors, and two. You want to remember what those colors mean, uh, because just seeing a color doesn't automatically tell you anything about it unless you know that red means, you know, ABC client or something like that or research or whatever. And so I think that's a simple form, but it is a, I would say, also a simplistic form of tagging because you want to make sure that you're, um, uh, you know what those tags mean. Um all all sorts of other kinds of tagging, and I think it really depends on the context in which you are using the tag. Um, And I know we're going to, we can't avoid this topic. We can't discuss this topic without talking about your favorite method of tagging um, on Twitter, which is, again, another form of tagging. Um, It's another way of categorizing so that people can find it later. So I think my only quibble with your your description of the promised land of tagging being eliminating one step, I would reframe that to say that tagging is the promised land of finding by eliminating that one step, because the the promised land is actually finding something, and tagging helps you do it by eliminating that single step. So you want to talk about your favorite tagging and other kinds? Yeah, that's a good. That's a that's a great point. Tom. So I I wrote down four
1: different things. So one I call uh, tags that you can do in the operating system. So like if you're in Windows or the Mac OS, you can actually tag certain files uh, by color or by by uh, name and apply these tags. Uh, there's some taggings that you can do in inside a program. So Outlook is one one really good example of that. You can do some tagging on the web, uh, you know, like in a browser or other other things uh, that you can you can do. It can be really helpful in the in what I call the read later apps that we've talked about at different times. So. Uh, I'll mention Raindrop.io, which I.io, which I use, uh, and I think you do as well. Time for. Uh- for bookmarks, and that allows you to tag uh, the bookmarks to to help you find things later. And then hashtagging, which is, um, I I say different than some of the tagging that we talk about, because there are actually kind of pre-built tags that you can use with hashtags. You're just putting the pound sign in front of of words that you use, and you, you're creating it all on your own. And and then I think that leads to. Uh, What is is a problem with with uh, tagging, which is do you have siloed tags, which you can only use in one place or and they don't transfer across or and you have more universal tags, which can be a lot more helpful. Um, But that goes back to your point, Tom, of, of of what kind of planning you need to do for for these things. So anything to add to my list there?
0: Not really. I mean, I think that um, when I think of siloed versus universal tags, I, I think that I prefer sort of a universal way of thinking about it. And and what I mean by that is, um, I, w- I guess I would probably, instead of calling it universal, call it standardized tagging. Is If you're going to keep certain types of similar content in multiple places, why have different tagging taxonomies? Um, you know, it, it, we'll talk in a minute. I, I do tagging in my task app. So I have different contexts for that. So that's fine, that's easy to remember. I can keep that separate. So that silo doesn't particularly bother me, but if I have and I think that when we when you and I talk about having a second brain, we anticipate having the content of our second brain all in one place, which assumes one set of taxon- uh, tagging and taxonomy for that area as well. But I still think that to the extent that I can use words uh, or terms or phrases or whatever that will still resonate with me that are easy to recall, I would prefer those if possible throughout, uh, throughout that. So, I mean, I, I, I think that context is is huge and will will really determine how you how you tag. But I think that to the extent that you can be as consistent or standardized across all of those silos um, will make it easier for you.
1: So I wanna use an example of the one type of tagging I've used for a long time that actually works for me, uh, which is uh, in Mac OS, I've created this tag for essentially my tax documents. So documents that I will need For my tax returns every year. It's just a tag, and I apply that when I remember to do that. And then, you know, when I need to gather those documents, I just do a search on that tag, and I have everything that I need in one place. And it's super simple. I just created one tag. Um, There's almost no nuance to it. Um, And so it, it fits a lot of the things that we say that. That work, you know, it's focused. It's easy to remember. There's not a lot of complexity to it, um, so that's one way to to think about it and and why it works. But Tom, I want to turn a little bit to strategies. Uh, so, to me, I thought there were of three strategies. So one is you you create tags and kind of have this big tag list that you do in advance that you've thought through carefully. The second one is uh, what I would call the hashtag approach, which is you just create tags on the fly. You know, you find something and you say, I'm going to, uh, you know, assign these tags to them. And that's where the inconsistency really comes in. And then suggested tags, which I really like, which I get in raindrop.io, where the programs are suggesting appropriate tags for you, what you want, and you just click on the ones that you want. So, of those three strategies, which which do you like tom
0: i like all of them can i like all of them because yes. because i think they all have so i think that there are pros and cons to each approach if you are creating your list in advance that requires you to anticipate all the things you might want to tag so you're going to have to think ahead of here are all the things that i might want i can never do that i'm never going to i'm never going to be able to do it so i tend to prefer the on the fly approach but That also means, like you just said, that you might end up with thousands of tags because if I see something, I'm going to tag it with 20 different things. I usually don't do that. I usually put one or two tags on something, if that. Sometimes it's just one tag. And and what I'm thinking about while I'm doing on-the-fly tagging is I'm thinking to myself, what existing tag does this website or this note or whatever, does it belong with already? Is there a tag that I've already created? So we'll use raindrop.io as the example. Um, Raindrop.io keeps a list of all your tags, and as you start typing things in, it will show you what you already have so that you can check yourself and you can just add it very easily to that list of tags if you have it. That's one way to deal with it. Um, I I think that, that... On the fly is good, but you have to be smart about on the fly. I really am intrigued with the idea of suggested tags because... I think that there's a little bit of an artificial intelligence aspect to it. It's trying to anticipate what you think would be the most likely tag. But I will tell you several times I've looked at the tags that Raindrop.io does, and I will just give one example that I came up with. I, I had an article in my Raindrop.io um, from um, it's the How To Geek. I think you have tweeted about that site many times before, but the How To Geek had an article called "Why You Should Use a Password Manager." That's the name of the article. And the tags that were suggested were majority. I'm like, what is what is that? How does that reflect how you should why you should use a password manager? One is manager, one is password, one is use, and the other one is websites. So other than password, I don't think I would use any of those because none of those would recall me back to that specific thing. So that is all of my way to say that I think the suggested tags. Has some room to grow and some learning to do, so I'm intrigued by that. I'd like for I like the suggested tag idea. I'm not sure that it gets me the tags that are most useful to me. I agree. I, I take the
1: suggested tags, which I like because then it means I don't have to do as much thinking, and I can kind of pick the ones that work for me, and then maybe add add some others. Um, but I think what it introduces is um, what I I don't know whether it's a positive or a negative at this point, but it tends to mean that I'm adding more and more tags to each thing, which means I'm kind of slowing down my actual process of of looking looking through documents because I'm spending more time on on tagging them. Um, but I think it is a super interesting way of doing it because it is like having that drop down menu to just pick the the things that you want, but. It does raise that that question of having too many tags. Um, but it possibly can help with, I think, one of the other big problems, which is how do you keep the tags consistent? And unless you have this master list or you go to a small number of tags, I think that truly is, uh, you, you know, a difficulty to overcome.
0: Well, and there are those, if you go out on YouTube and just do a search for Notion tagging libraries, um, there are people who will create a full library or database full of tags. And that's how they manage their tags throughout their whole Notion knowledge base, uh, which I, which to me feels out of control. It feels like if you have to create a whole database for your tags, you may have too many tags. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the, the, you know, the way that I, I think to use I, – I, I really like to take a three-step approach, um, and, and, and this is going to – I'm kind of getting away from the tagging thing, which is, one, I'm, I, I want to use the right way to find information depending on how I'm going to, how I need to find it. So if I want to search for something specific, I want to use a keyword. So I'd love to use keyword searches. If I'm going to categorize information in, uh, in a single topic, I want to categorize it. I will think about putting it into a folder or a notebook. But if I'm going to categorize across topics because they have s- similar related content, then for me, that's the benefit of tagging is being able to do it that way. And so to me, that's kind of the balanced approach. I don't use any one more over the other. It just depends on the most effective way of finding each one, depending on what I'm trying to look for. Is it uh, we've, we've had this conversation I remember having podcasts 10 years ago we're talking about how to do a search on Google and and the fact that uh, that that a keyword search would be a fantastic way or instead of knowing exactly what you're looking for uh, and, and, and I remember having these discussions of Google uh, doing that I, I think it's the same way here if you don't know exactly what you're looking for keywords may be the best tags are better when you do know what you're looking for but it might be in multiple places um, and then if you know Know that it's in one topic, then go to the folder where it is. Um, that's kind of how I approach things.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think it is, you are stepping back to say, okay, how, how can these help me? And then how might uh, they be useful for me in a given context? So when you were talking about that, I have this example of when I need to do a, a headshot for publicity, I know that most of my headshots uh, and the recent ones have headshots somewhere in the file name. And, and so I do a, a keyword search on that of headshot. Well, actually, what I should do is just tag those, right? That'd just be a lot easier. Um, and But I haven't, I haven't done that because I kind of brute force these things and I don't do enough volume to make me uh, want to change that. But uh, I think you do want to step back and say, "Okay, when might this be useful? Notion, what's really attractive to me about uh, using tags is I think that Notion itself is going to use them really well um, over time. And so I think I want to leverage the power that I see coming into Notion on on using tags. And so that's another reason to think about, well, where I might start to use tags, maybe not across everything I do but in certain areas of where they could be really helpful. So that's sort of how I think about them and uh, and one of one of the ways some of the ways I do and don't use tags at this point.
0: And I want to really quickly Dennis talk about kind of how it's different for me. So when I think about headshots, I think well, they're all the same context, they're all pictures. So for me, I'm putting all of those pictures into a single folder called headshots because I'm not gonna put pictures in multiple places throughout my computer. However, when you talk about Notion, um, what I've been doing this past week is I'm getting ready for a vacation to Oregon in September, and um, I am doing research on restaurants in basic, in different parts of Oregon, and so I am tagging those restaurants with two different tags. I'm tagging them with the city, where they're located, and I'm tagging them, or, or, and or Oregon, the state, and I'm tagging them with restaurant. So I have two different databases. I have a database full of restaurants, and I have a database full of sites. Sites and things to do in Oregon, and so they're so. If I'm looking for things in Oregon, I can see those restaurants. If I'm looking for restaurants, I can then see things that are happen to be restaurants that happen to be in Oregon. So I do agree that Notion is going to be great for tagging. Um, but again, we come back again to the context and what makes the most sense. Dennis, did you have some questions before we start to wrap this up?
1: Yeah. So there's two things I wanted to touch on, uh, Tom. So one is. Like, what's the optimum point to? And this was the first one. So, what's what is the optimum point to add tags? And I think that also raises a little bit of the question: Like, what if what if I suddenly realize that I've been using the wrong tag, and I, I would like to to change uh, things that I've already
0: tagged? So, optimum point. You know, that's a tough question. I, I, I would tend to say I would rather add a tag to something early on in the process than going back to it, because I think if you go back to something and start tagging it, that's wasting a whole lot of time that you're spending. I, I, would, I would try to set up a system so that you are able to tag something. What I, what I generally do is uh, I'm finding, looking for information. I save it to Notion. It goes into a general inbox, and I, and I go in process that inbox every so often. And when I do that, I tag it. I'll never go back to it after that and, and deal with that tag. So I try to do it before it goes into wherever it's going to go, um, because I think that's the most efficient and less time-consuming way to do it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's, that's uh, for me, one that's really tricky because uh, your use of information and the way you s- store it, um, can evolve over time. And so just to use one example, I might have started out saying, oh, I want to use this tag that's, you know, artificial intelligence in law. And that's where I'll throw articles of, you know, that, that Mark Lortzen does, um, and then over time I might realize like, oh wait, actually I just want to keep uh, all my Mark, all of Mark Lortzen's articles that I've, you know, that I've gathered under a Mark Lortzen tag, because uh, they're not all on AI and law, and I wouldn't have known that at the beginning, right? Because that evolves over time. So sometimes you have to look at flexibility, and, um, and then I think there are you would want to look at some approaches to say. Uh, can I do something where I can be more flexible with tags and, and start to add things? Um, you know, although it just feels like just a bad use of of an afternoon to spend, you know, time say like watching a football game and, and tagging, uh, add adding no. tags, no. no, adding <laughs> tags. <laughs> things, and then the the last point I want to make before we rack, wrapped up, and I it, this to me leads me toward the promised land, and and what I'm thinking of uh, second brain and notion is, is why you know how can I use uh, tags as a basis for actions, you know so. What is it I can do? So I've tagged these things. And then on the basis of that, what actions can I start to take with that? And that's just something I've really started to think a lot about. So I don't have any definitive answers there but that to me is really interesting to say oh what if I you could say grab all of these things that are tagged with this and you know put them into one document or as we get more and more AI potential what if I have my AI tool summarize everything with those tags so that's if you're looking toward the future that's uh, that's one thing to think about.
0: You're thinking, yeah, when I saw that in your outline, I, I went a totally different direction for that. And I think that that is looking at the future of, of tagging and what tagging can do. When I think of tags as a basis for actions, um, the first thing I thought of was, was David Allen and getting things done, which is where where when you're trying to process everything, you can tag it with the context and say, I'm going to tag this with phone. And these are all the phone calls I have to make. Or I'm going to tag this with email. These are the emails I have to send or tag it with errands. These are the errands I have to do. I don't like to do that. That's not, that's not how I tag it. But I, I do say that in my to-doist, I do have tags for things that I'm waiting on. So if I, if I have a task that I need to do but I'm waiting on somebody to do it. I'll tag it in the waiting on and I'll revisit it occasionally to see if there's something that's changed. Um, there'll be um, tags for to discuss with certain people or clients. These are things I need to talk to people about and I'll tag it with that so that when I'm on the phone with, with, with my team or with my boss, I can then go through that list really quickly and make sure that I've got it. Um, so that's a, a useful way that I have, at least in my task manager, to, um, to tag information for further action.
1: And I would say to wrap up, Tom, once again, we've taken something that just seemed like a super simple topic and realized that now we just barely crashed, uh, scratched the surface of, of all that we could talk about. But tags are something I think people—it's a good time to explore it. Uh, you know, you're going to find that it's you know—some people are, you know, like to do files, some people like to do search, but tags kind of this really in, interesting middle ground that might be really affected for you either across the board and, or in certain situations.
0: And so before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NODA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnoda.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A-excellent by AM Best, so you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at ColonialSurety.com forward slash podcast. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile reports. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. It's time for our new segment we call Hot
1: or Not. We pick something people are talking about and argue whether we think it's hot or not. We might agree, but odds are that we won't. So let's get started. Money seems to be flooding into legal tech in 2021. The e discovery company Disco just had an IPO. It seems like there are VC funding announcements and private equity acquisitions in legal tech every day. I feel comfortable, Tom, predicting that we will set a record for investment in legal tech in 2021. So it's fair to say it's very hot out there. However, Tom, the question is whether these investment activities will stay hot or not.
0: Well, first, I want to say what's interesting to me about venture capital and legal tech um, is it has followed such a similar curve to everything else in the legal industry. Uh, venture capitalism has been a thing since when? At least the 60s or 70s and in other areas of technology for at least 20 some years. Um, but it's only recently finding its way to the legal industry, which I guess is kind of on par for our late adopter, Profession um, for us to finally be getting venture capital, but but I don't see any reason why venture capital won't stay hot in the legal tech area, and I think I think that's part of the reason is the number of legal startups continues to grow. I'll put a link in the in the show notes. Uh, there's a a, a a site called AngelList that is currently tracking. I've got one thousand five hundred and sixty nine. Legal tech startups. I I don't know if there's a more comprehensive or better list about the different kind of startups that are out there. Um, But as long as those continue to grow, uh, they are looking for money. They are um, they they will potentially be the 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 targets of of investors. And I think that there are a couple of things that are driving the this explosion. I think that you know as part of the pandemic, we're seeing a lot of startups centered around remote work. People are using the downtime to launch new companies, to work on ideas. I think we're seeing, I think, a big explosion in legal technology incubators, whether that's law firms, whether that's universities and law schools, but it seems like everybody is creating their own incubator and pumping out new legal tech companies, so I think that the... The sources of legal tech startups are not going away anytime soon. And then I think as long as the demand is high, that investment's going to be there. And right now, I think there are a couple of factors that are creating that demand. One, legal, huge market. Why not try to to go for it? Um, access to justice, also huge. I mean, it seems like every startup has some sort of access to justice component to it. It is still a giant unmet need, which means it will be popular. And then I think the third thing that is creating the potentially creating the demand is that as in-house counsel um, continue to consolidate, reduce their outside counsel, there are startups who are finding a place somewhere in the gap there to try and serve in-house counsel um, in a way that outside counsel were unable to do that. So um, I guess I would say in my hot or not eight ball, magic eight ball, I would say all signs point to hot. Dennis?
1: I've listened to you, and I, I wanted to disagree and say not, uh, but I I, th- I think it's going to stay pretty hot f- for a while, and and, and hopefully uh, it will stay hot until Tom and I like put together a stealth startup that uh, people can fund. But you know, seriously, what what I what I see out there is that uh, that there's a lot of money chasing a fairly limited number of, of companies that people see a lot of potential in a, a legal industry that's that's changing i i have a number of questions and i do believe that ultimately you know people want to make money off of these investments so you know companies are going to have to produce and the legal market is a fickle market, you know, as uh, people who've been uh, seeing what's going on in legal tech f- for many years know. There's been definitely hot and cold times. But I'd say there's definitely a lot of money out there uh, uh, chasing uh, a limited number of options. And people and those investors seem willing to spend that money on, on legal uh, perhaps in unexpected ways. Uh, so sometimes the venture capitalists see an opportunity where um, the what they're interested in is what can happen with lawyers um, and traditional uh, legal services, not as the goal of or the the products of these companies. So that that to me is super interesting. But I, I think it's going to stay. I think it's going to stay fairly hot for a while, as long as the the economy stays reasonably hot. Uh, because it is a new area of where where you're seeing stuff, and we are seeing, um, like I said, at least at least one IPO this year, and other companies talking about it. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or
0: observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So some of you may be familiar with DuckDuckGo, which is the privacy-related alternative to Google in terms of searching. Um, it A lot of people love using it because it won't track you um, the way that Google does. Um, they are rolling out and have rolled out a new beta tool that they're calling DuckDuckGo. Email protection and what it is is it's a free email address, a duck.com email address. Who doesn't want an email address called duck.com? And what it allows you to do is um, it allows you to use it as kind of an intermediary email address between you and your regular email. So any just give a vendor or give anybody the email your duck.com email address, and those emails that that are sent to it will be forwarded to your regular inbox, but with the email trackers removed and so you'll get it as a clean email you can generate unique private email addresses in DuckDuckDo so that you can't be tracked by your email address Um, and again DuckDuckDo is never saving any of your email it just forwards it onto you Um, really cool service if you're interested in it um, you'll need either the iOS or the Android app uh, for it and you go in and hit settings then beta features then email protection then join the private wait list it's in the settings there, um, but if you're interested, go get a free duck.com email address, Dennis. Uh, more email? I just don't know. It's not. It's uh. not more email. It's not. <laughs> more, it's. It's a pass through to get email that doesn't have the trackers. You're not getting more email. You're still getting the same amount of email. You're just getting email that's been washed.
1: Uh, just still just another email service. Uh, so. I'm going to be teaching a class in cybersecurity and, and data protection at Michigan State uh, Law School in the fall. And so I've been uh, definitely doing a lot more research in the area of cybersecurity, but there's a big one out there uh, that everybody should know about these days. And uh, so I'm going to, get, we'll give you a link to Bruce Schneier's blog, which is a great, great resource on uh, cybersecurity issues. But I I love the title of his post. It just says, Nasty Windows Printer Driver Vulnerability. So there have been a lot of intrusions and a a lot of the the break-ins to networks have happened through just peripherals connected to networks. So we've done a good job of passwords like on our computers and other things like that but it'll be all the things that are attached to the networks that have default passwords and, and other issues. Well, this one, people are coming in through printers. And so there's a printer of driver vulnerability that apparently has existed in the neighborhood of 10 years. And this is what people can make use of. And it's a really important patch to get from HP, and as, especially, so if you have an HP Printer, uh, but you want to go and look to see if your printers are vulnerable because this is so well known um, that the the uh, the bad people are likely to use this uh, on a regular basis in in the future. So uh, take a look at this article. Check to see if your printers are. Uh, On the list and install the patch and and feel just a a little bit safer. Because otherwise, I think we're going to see a lot of examples where this becomes the route into into people's systems.
0: People are still using printers?
1: I was going to say the millennials have an advantage over... of Over older folks because they don't use printers. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> all right. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Marapoint. Th- thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous episodes, along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn or on Twitter. And remember, we do like getting questions for our B segment. So send us a voicemail so we can hear your voice. That number is 720 441 6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy.
1: And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report ONLY ON THE LEGAL TALK NETWORK.